Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, Damian Mason. You knew that when you tuned in. Got a great program for you today. An interesting dude. I've just been talking to him before I hit the record button. His name is Brad Kent. I'm going to call him a food entrepreneur. He's lived all over the place. He, in fact, concocted food uh, he concocted food recipes, or shall I say rations, for uh, two armies. He has also been a chef on a yacht. He's also got a food science uh, education, and he's done some pretty interesting stuff. Currently, he wants to talk about his role where he thinks that food is just part of what he is selling. He is the founder of Bagel and Slice. He's on a mission to do good by helping people live healthier through food. I find this to be an interesting category because, as many of you may know, I'm a farm owner. I have a degree in agricultural economics, and I wrote a book called Food Fear. So it's almost like refusing my agriculture culture, my food, my understanding of what we do and producing on these con- on this country's farms with, of course, my entrepreneurial side and here at the Do Business Better podcast. Welcome, my guest, Brad Kent. Thank you so much for having me. All right. First off, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and um, I, I want to hear about uh, you. You started you started making money doing something on your own as an entrepreneurial venture when you were a kid. Take me back yeah. there. Well, so, uh, you know, as, as a kid, I remember even picking oranges from my yard, uh, taking them <laughs> all places. I took them in front of the grocery store and was selling them there. I got in trouble with the manager and uh, realized that I needed maybe a different approach to, to making money. And, and from there, my, my next business was uh, auto detailing because I loved cars. Um, I created a flyer, photocopied it, brought it to the neighbor's houses. And that day I had my first customer and I did that business for about seven years through college and it certainly made me uh, pretty popular in high school because I was able, I had more money than most kids did and I would pay for other kids stuff. Yeah. So that's cool. So you've been working for a long, long time. Then uh, you, you, you hit the road and started traveling. Uh, you're, you got a degree from USC, right? Yeah. So I have a business degree from USC. I wanted to do something creative. So business seemed like the most creative thing I could do there with with a degree that would actually make me money at the end. I, I wanted to do fine art, but I didn't think that that would be as easy to uh, to have a successful life in. And um, I loved cooking and I, I, I just don't know how it happened, but I just, I just kind of fell into starting a, um, a catering business um, while I was still in college. And I uh, did that for several years until I graduated and then turned that into a bigger business. And from there, I decided I wanted to get a formal training and went to culinary school at the Culinary Institute in New York. So here we are, uh, by the way, dear listener, USC, meaning the one that's in Southern California, the Trojans, the song girls, you've heard about them, uh, USC. And so there he is. He's got his degree in business and he also wants to be in the food business. Well, and you're back in L.A. after living a lot of different places, including on somebody else's boat. Uh, but Wolfgang Puck, Spago, uh, my God, uh, Trader Vicks. I'm thinking of the places that are written about in songs and in popular media that are uh, chef personality driven businesses that are right there in your backyard in SoCal. Was that the motivation or was it something else? It actually was somewhat related to what you're, where you're going, but it wasn't me that I was thinking about 
cooking for celebrities because celebrities are in Los Angeles and that a celebrity was going to discover me rather than me being the celebrity right. and that they would like the product or products that I created so much that my dream would be to use that celebrity backer to get me into a retail line of products that I could see on a grocery store shelf. That was my end goal. And I just wanted to get there any way I could. I thought culinary school was the right approach. It turned out to be, but it was not the most direct path. <laughs> All right. So you've been involved uh, when you were bopping around and then, uh, you know, some of these things like in your bio, you talk about uh, you created food for armed forces. You know, when I think about chef food, when I think about going to chef inspired culinary uh, uh, experiences, I don't think about K rations. So take me down that road. How the hell did that come up? That's how I created the position for myself. So the U uh, S uh, Department of Defense is one of the premier, if not the most premier uh, food science research facilities on the planet um, because they have to feed soldiers in the most extreme conditions. Those extreme conditions can, can, could be at a submarine. It could be at super high altitude where it's frozen solid. Um, it could be in the middle of a desert. So each of those conditions requires some different parameters for how you de design a food product with those different nutritional needs. If those soldiers are not well-nourished, they put their mission and all of the people that they are uh, fighting with um, at, at harm's way, in harm's way because they need all that nutrition. In fact, uh, for the most part, they're not even, if they consumed 100% of their rations, they would still be undernourished because they're burning so many calories a day. The angle that I took to create a position for D at DOD when there was a, they had a hiring freeze, they actually created a position for me, was that I will make, I promise to make foods taste good enough that soldiers, that these, these boys, 18, 19 years old, who come from families that are preparing, you know, down home kind of cooking, they're just not used to eating some of the stuff that, you know, me from California would, would think of preparing. So I wanted to prepare foods that they would be familiar with, but had color, texture, flavor that they're just not used to seeing in a ration when they're in those battlefield situations, which will both help their nutrition and their nourishment, um, their recovery rate, their, their attention span, um, but also will give them a sense of, of belonging, of a sense of love, a sense of you know, these things that these missing ingredients that are really key to what food pr provides to make you feel like, like there's something worth fighting for and there's something and, and and, and that you feel a little bit of home when you eat, eat your yeah, food. So you, you, you went about it a little more than just uh, nutrition. There's, uh, there's got to be a little bit of feel good because after all, it can be a lonely and, and stressful time where these, uh, these soldiers are operating exactly. and deployed. And, and, as a, and as a chef, you know, I'll take the food scientist side of me out a bit. As a chef, that's what chefs do. We're in the food service and hospitality industry. Our job is to make people feel good and make people feel welcome and make people leave that experience feeling like, wow, that was, I'd like to do that again. Imagine if you could do that to a soldier who's, who's dug a hole with a tiny uh, tool um, to, to his shoulder in depth. And now he's eating that one meal he's going to get, and he's got 30 seconds to eat it before he's going to be you know, under, under attack. And he needs something that's going to just taste good. And he's give him the energy that he or she needs to fight and, and move on and survive a night and, and, uh, and, and have the energy to you know, carry out the mission. 
By the way, uh, you talk about the feeling. Uh, we we did that with Hershey bars in the 1940s, sticking Hershey bars in the rations. And we also did it with Marlboros, uh, mm-hmm. which they don't do that anymore, is my understanding, right? Well, it would leave a signature, right? So you could smell a Marlboro. So that's probably a bad idea if you're trying to be uh, secretive. Uh, tell me about then the the starting in the business of the the food business you created. So you you started uh, in the pizza thing. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it's a super circuitous, circuitous path, as you can see. Like I, I did a lot of different things because I wanted to be an expert in food, and and that's why I went to go work at DoD. I thought if I worked there, I'd be an expert. I could do anything, and I'd be the the best at it in the world. What I learned when I was there is that there were so many experts working there, and those experts that I worked with were experts in one specific thing, and it, you know, one of them could be like emulsions. One of them could be lipids or antioxidants. And I thought, well, I need to do the same thing. And it's exactly what I learned in business school is if you do one thing and you do one thing really well, um, you can make an absolute career of it and make a, a position for yourself as a leader without having that sort of, um, you know, that need to be an expert in everything. So I decided I was going to focus on one of three things. It was either going to be barbecue, pizza, or Mexican food. Okay, barbecue, pizza, or Mexican. Uh, I like all those. I'm going to put them in order. Uh, Barbecue first, Mexican second, pizza third. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, this is going to be a good one. All all right, let's see if I can convince you that pizza is the best food on the I like them all. I just don't get as excited about pizza as most people. But anyway, you went this path, and here's my first response, though. It's a crowded market. Pizza, everybody and her sister, from Pizza Hut to all the regional places, Papa John's, you know, Domino's, my God, frozen stuff, DiGiorno. Oh, pizza seems crowded. Yeah, it was. But um, there was a, an angle that I saw an, an opportunity in the pizza space that had not yet been filled. And, and it, it goes back to the historical roots of pizza, where pizza was made in a live fire oven and it was cooked in about three minutes or less. Um, and it was Neapolitan pizza. And um, although I'm not a huge fan of Neapolitan pizza, it's a little too soft for me. I like New York style pizza. I thought that if I created a line, a, an assembly line style pizza concept that had a pizza that you could prepare in maybe five minutes from start to finish, that you could get a pizza in the time that you could get a hamburger, I could create a fast food uh, competitor in a space that had no real fast food competition. So I created a brand called Blaze Pizza. It, we have 350 locations now around the, the world in uh, seven countries. It was the fastest growing chain in history. And so it was, uh, it's turned out to be a good idea. So uh, first off, it is a good idea. And I can't help it when you start saying Neapolitan pizza. I just keep thinking of vanilla, chocolate and, and, and strawberry because of Neapolitan ice cream growing up, which, of course, you always went straight for the chocolate when you were a kid. You'd sometimes mix in the vanilla and then your dad would have to eat the strawberry because yep. you didn't want it. So anyway, 350 stores of Blaze Pizza. Right. And- is what's your position now? Are you out? Did you just no. found it? And then, or do you get paid to be a consultant? I mean, you don't own all these. What's the story on no, Blaze yeah, Pizza now and yeah. you, Brad? So, yeah. So Blaze Pizza, the reason it was able to grow so fast is it's a franchise model. So I don't operate any of those locations. We have franchisees that do that. And I'm now I've, I've had a lot of positions where I've had a lot of responsibilities, but I've always had the responsibility of food that remains. So I'm still the executive chef for Blaze Pizza. I'm not planning to change that. Um, and I'm really, I thought that there was an, another um, wide open gap in, in the world. And that's what I, my new business is. And that was to create 
um, a, a different business model where a restaurant would, uh, you know, you're paying rent 24 hours a day. So why not have a business that could actually fill as many day parts as possible? Pizza only fills two day parts. You got lunch and dinner, maybe late night, if you consider that a day part or not. Um, but if you could add uh, lunch, uh, breakfast to that, um, you could get 30% conceivably or even more um, income from the same square footage from the right. same rent. Um, same occupancy cost. Yeah, the, the, equi the equipment is all there. What you're really adding then is just employee hours because you've already got the you've already got the utensils and the and the appliances and the square footage and and right. the insurance cost. Nothing exactly. changes other than so. You said let's let's go ahead and what, blaze pizza. We're gonna have biscuits and gravy in the morning. Come on, this is getting a little crazy. What do you think? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So how do you create a? a it's hard. Like my first pizza restaurant, uh, which which was called the uh, Olio Pizza and uh, and Cafe. I thought if I put the words and cafe, that people go, oh, they must have breakfast there. But it said pizza first, and and uh, we didn't have customers there coming in there before eleven thirty asking for pizza, even though I had a really amazing breakfast menu where I was making pastries and things had a very expensive coffee program and nobody cared because they thought it was a pizza place. And what do pizza people know about breakfast? Yep. So I thought that a, a natural, another attempt at that might be to do bagels and pizza. And by naming the business, which many businesses call bagel and slice that put bagels first. Cause of course, and, and, you know, instead of you wouldn't, you know, oleo pizza and cafe, the cafe part comes second uh, bagel and slice, the bagel comes first. So breakfast comes before lunch. It's really simple. I, I'm, I'm dumbing it down for you and hopefully you, you get it. And so you, you know, like, I like bagels. I like pizza. I'll go there for breakfast and lunch. Let's see if it works. Okay. So you came up with this win. Oh gosh. I wanted to, I, well, I've been wanting to do bagels longer than I've been interested in doing pizza even, and, but it took forever for me to figure the darn thing out. Yeah. Um, and then as rent and occupancy costs and, and cost of doing business, especially in the Southern California region got so extreme and almost absurd. Um, I realized that if I wanted to open a, another restaurant that was going to be successful, it needed to be as small of a footprint as possible and it needed to have three day parts of a business. And that's why I decided to do this. This is something that's been on in the back of my mind for probably five to seven years. So is bagel and slice, what's bagel and slice look like now, besides your shirt that you're wearing, by the way, dear listener, <laughs> by the way, dear listener, most of you listen to the audio, but some of you also watch the video. So if you are listening to this and you said, wait a minute, what are you talking about the video? You can see Brad Kent and me, and you can see all my other videos at the Damian Mason channel. Just go on YouTube, type in Damian Mason channel. Please hit subscribe. The more subscribers, the more subscribers you get, then obviously the more people see it. And I have some really cool stuff out there. I have my business of agriculture podcast. I have all of my commentary videos. I even have demo uh, reels from me on stage. And if you're really bored, you can go back and find old clips of me when I did my Bill Clinton impersonation political comedy act. So go to the Damian Mason channel and hit subscribe, please. Um, you've got the shirt. What's bagel and slice look like right now as a business? Well, it's just in the final process of getting through the city. Um, it's been a very long road, about 16, 17 months of construction um, delays because of the, you know, the world that we're living in with COVID. Um, but uh, we should be opening hopefully in the next three to five weeks. One store? One location to start. I don't expect it to be huge. It's not the idea of it. I wanted to create a family business that I could pass on to my kids. That's easy to operate, highly profitable, and doing really good things for our community. We're going to get to the good things for the community and some of your uh, bigger mission about uh, food. But before we do that, 
just because I'm, I mean, we're about here doing business better, multiple revenue streams. It's, it's an objective. I, I've been running my own uh, business for 28 years. I'll be starting my 29th year this summer. Uh, quit corporate in 1994. Um, generally, you get good at doing one thing and you just maximize the hell out of it. That's how you make your money. Whether you're self-employed or whether you have 100 employees, you know, generally diversification can also be distracting. So you stick with what you're really good at. You ride your horse, right? And then the last two years, I got better about diversifying some revenue streams and making sure I had some other things because when this gets haywire or whatnot, right now, the revenue, you don't have any revenue off a bagel and slice. You right. are getting revenue, and I'm not trying to ask you, you know, for your net worth. No, or I, I've, got, I've got very little to hide, so go. Off, go so you just, it. I think, to, so the person that listens to this is saying, you know, I got a business, or hey, I'm going to start a business. What's Brad Kent right now living off of? Is the pay, Blaze Pizza such that you get a certain amount each month, and you say, I'm going to have that, and then I'm going to take other monies and start this next thing? Kind of what's it look like in the life so, of Brad Kent right now? Yeah, well, I have another business too. I have several other businesses. And and so um, my other restaurant business is called Olio. So I kept that that as a restaurant, got rid of the cafe part. And I just have the Olio now. It's in a, so it's it's a in, pizza place. It's a pizza, wood-fired pizza, but it's neo-Neapolitan. So it oh, wait, 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 wait. Neo-Neapolitan. <laughs> this is like new, new vanilla chocolate strawberry. You're going to have to vanilla explain strawberry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so neo Neapolitan is really like it's a it's a way of of, of to me it means um, classic Neapolitan pizza, which is that wood fired pizza that's cooked in like forty five to ninety seconds, which tends to be a little too soft for me. Doesn't have a crunchy texture. Kind of if that pizza had a baby with a New York pizza that has the crunchy texture with a fold and a little more chew to it, um, that that would be a neo Neapolitan to me. Or you call it uh, you know New York. Neapolitan baby. Oh, wow. All right. So you have one facility and it's in SoCal. Yeah, it's in downtown LA and it's inside of a, um, it's inside the grand central market. It's an old um, marketplace that's been there since about 103 years. Um, and it, um, it has like 36 stalls, each one of them selling some other kind of food. We have the exclusive rights on pizza and that little unit makes me more money than my other job. And that's passive income. Yeah. And then the other job is place. Okay. Yeah. So the blaze is, you don't, do you own any of those as your, as yourself? No, I don't. I, my, it's blazes. I'm a, it's a job for, I'm a, I'm, I'm a founder. Um, I'm a, I'm a shareholder. And then I'm also, a, I'm a, I'm an employee. You're an employee creating yeah. recipes and doing yeah. sort of uh, probably they franchises usually need things like um, guidance on some uh, color schemes, marketing, uh, floor plan, that kind of stuff. Right. Right. And new product development. I used to because of my food science background, I, I used to lead our, our food safety for Blaze and, and all the quality assurance issues that would pop up. I developed all the recipes and formulations. So I worked with co-packers and manufacturers of foods and developed the actual products that we make. So they, they, I own the recipes instead of them, which was a, a new way of doing business, which was sure. very effective for us. And um, that's pretty much uh, how that thing worked out. And, and then for, for um, Olio, I, I've got an amazing manager that runs that business for me. And um, so my, my role there is, is just to support however I can and make sure that I answer any questions they, they have. Um, and a lot of it is just, it's just 
the benefits of owning a, a very a successful business. Blaze Pizza, job, and you're the founder, and you're about a lot of different roles in that. Olio, you're an owner of a place that's in a in a downtown LA, and it's not a standalone restaurant. It's amongst a place where I'm guessing workers pass through there a lot at lunchtime, right? So that's that's a job. That's a business that probably gets whacked for three hours. Well, because it, a lot of people live downtown now, so and we're we're near the courthouse. So when you know some of those people get let out at two o'clock, some of them at three o'clock. So we've got business all day long. We do have a couple crunch hours. We have like two or three hours where we do have busier um, um, sales, but the sales are pretty consistent from open ten thirty in the morning until about nine at night when we shut down. And then with third party deliveries going on these days, um, about thirty five percent of our sales are going out the door with delivery drivers. And those are all day long. Blaze pizza, Olio, soon to be bagel and slices or something else that you've got going on in your income. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I designed a little, I designed a little uh, home pizza oven called a carbon oven. Um, I do, I used to do a lot of catering. I, I had a wood fired pizza oven on a trailer that weighed 4,000 pounds. It took about eight to 12 hours to preheat. And it was a pain in the neck to haul around. It was, it took a van to yeah. move it and I couldn't move it once it was in place. And it was just a beast. And with the advent of, of ovens like the Uni and the Rockbox, these little portable ovens that have become extremely popular and very inexpensive, um, you could get results that rivaled the wood-fired oven that I've got that at, my, at Olio or even the, 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 the gas oven that we use at Blaze. Those are $30,000 ovens. And I created an oven that's $699 that does performs just as well. It makes one pizza at a time. So I do events, for, use catering events with about three of those ovens. Um, and it's been a pretty good little business just getting that one started. So you, you are the inventor of that device? I designed it. I co-designed it with a uh, oven manu- or a food equipment manufacturer. So they yep. manufacture the products all made in the U.S. and then they do the distribution and all the customer service. They deal with really all that stuff. And I just I'm an advisor. You that. get paid every one of those that sold? No, I don't. Um, if there's some sort of an event uh, at some point, then yes, I could, you know, have some sort of a cash out. But but it's just kind of a fun project, and it, it it's a really a helpful piece of equipment. I use it for all the photo shoots for Blaze Pizza, and I use it for catering. I did it for R and D. Went before I had my restaurant built. And this this little Blaze. thing, this little contraption, has got my got me thinking here. Because my wife loves pizza. It's seven hundred bucks, and how quick does it cook a pizza? Um, you can cook a pizza between a minute and a half to five minutes, depending on how you have the settings on the oven. Sheesh. All right. Is there anything else? Because then we're going to talk about bagel and slices. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes, there's always something else. I got to make sure I got to get to a point where I can retire. So I've, I, I got a lot of uh, irons in the fire. So I just created a, a, a flour replacer. It's made with wheat starch, but it's certified gluten-free. Um, and I wanted to create a product for bagel and slice. That was the world's best gluten-free bagel. What I found was a problem. And what I know is a problem is if there's no volume, I can't have anyone manufacture this product for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine had, uh, had uh, was in, created a business. He's this young guy. I think he's like 28 years old, um, created a business that became quite successful. He sold his piece of that and, and he's, he had nothing to do. And I, and I said, and he always wanted to do business with me. And I said, Oh, here's the deal. If you want to do business, I will give you this business to operate, but you have to sell me this product that I'm developing for myself at a very good price. And then I'll keep a little bit of equity in it as well. And I am also a consultant on that. So that that's called original sunshine. And that's a a gluten-free flour replacer, but we're also looks like we're probably going to end up doing bagels as well. Gluten-free bagels because they're so darn good. Uh, 
And so the problem with creating gluten-free baked goods, gluten is a binder, right? I mean, just, uh, I know we're talking since you're a food scientist, right. the reason gluten is it's in stuff because it's a protein that's found in wheat, uh, barley, and oats, right? It's, it's in three cereal grains and it's, it's used a lot. I mean, it's already in there anyway, but it also binds stuff. Isn't that what keeps stuff gummed together? Well, the most beautiful uh, feature of what gluten does is it creates this, this elasticity and it holds carbon dioxide, which gives bread its lightness of texture. Um, so the hard part of formulating gluten-free products is to come up with an analog to that gluten that is, and that's usually in the form of some sort of a polysaccharide, like, uh, you know, like gum or uh, a, a, highly soluble fiber um, and, and and that's what we end up using and so that will hold the air bubbles so it'll give lightness and, and the texture of it looks like bread when it's cooked but without the protein got it so you got a lot going on and i know you want to tell me about uh your your mission by the way you said you want to have all this stuff going on so you can retire how does a person go from having 30 different irons in a fire to none i don't I haven't had a real job for 28 years. I'll be starting my 29th year. There's people that come to me that have normal jobs they don't like. And they say, you know, can you just retire? I said, yeah, I guess. I mean, I just want sell off, live, you know, pare down, whatever. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So how old are you, Brad? I'm 52. Okay. You and I are the exact same age. I turned 53 here uh, later on this year. And, um, you know, not being arrogant, but I guess if I wanted to change them, yeah, I could be retired, I guess. You know, at some point, first off, uh, what, go and live in a, a one-bedroom apartment and um, and then just lay around and watch TV and then say, yeah, I got, I don't know what you would do. I mean, um, I, it's, I still want to work. Do you still want to work? I still want to work. And you know what, that actually, that, and I'm not really, I'm not trying to like push this bagel and slicing, but, but that's really what bagel and slice is about. Bagel and slices. It really looks more like what the kind of job that I want to have in retirement where I'm just giving back and making it, making a really affordable product that people couldn't typically afford. If you're following a typical business model with, with like your common, like I want 20% profit, like no, we're we're, we're going to do 15% profit. Our target is 10% profit um, if we can get there. So that's the kind of like the, a, a different business model. And I, what I'd like to do is prove out that that business model actually works. Um, and that could be a scalable model for anybody. And it would imagine that like the joy that you could get, um, you know, doing good, giving back to your community, um, trying to do as much good for the uh, local economies to help out local and small farmers, um, and to make really high quality food accessible to people who wouldn't normally be able to afford it. I don't think it's fair that there's you know, like the upper 1% or whoever it is got the money to spend $15 on, on, a, on, a, on a bagel sandwich. I don't, I don't think that that's fair that they're the only ones that should be eating really healthy stuff. I think everyone should have access to that. Two things. First off, uh, I, you and I both, uh, I, would I mind being retired? There's, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to work less. Uh, probably as I get older, but I still want to work because I enjoy it. I like seeing something get accomplished. But the other part of it is, and it's not arrogance. You are the same age. You've had plenty of experiences. I have too. And uh, when someone says, well, you should be retired. And I said, well, okay, well, then what? And then sometimes a couple of years or someone says, well, you know, just volunteer. I said, no offense. And I just discussed this with another friend of mine in a recording that we did another podcast. I said, if I go and ladle soup at the homeless shelter, that's fine. But 
if I run my business, I can employ other people and do more good by when I make money, then I come up with new ventures. And then I, I hire them to design websites and I support this person to redo this property. I think that ladling soup doesn't keep the economic multiplier effect going. Whereas me being in business benefits other people. And I think you probably feel the same way that you stay in business. Not everyone sees that, unfortunately, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, you can employ people and you can hire renovations done to a building. Then a contractor has business. And I can hire someone to serve soup at the soup kitchen because for 15 or $17 an hour, I can do that. And, And isn't my time better suited because I'm maybe worth, $30 an hour. Like I can do that. And for the extra, the variance there, I could give that money away. Like, let me do some more good. Yeah. You might be worth more than 30 bucks an hour. Okay. (laughs) Concept of bagel and slice. Um, First off, you've talked a lot about the affordability. Um, That's fine. But the reality is, I mean, there is cheap food out there. I mean, I can go to the, the bargain basement grocery store and buy the bargain basement stuff, whatever. It's not just cheap food. You've got a bigger motivation here. Yeah, well, cheap. Uh, yeah, and, and cheap food is cheap food. Um, there's this is actually expensive food sold inexpensively. So I'm I'm using the same ingredients, actually many ingredients that even the, the finest dining restaurants in the world don't have access to. I'm working directly with farmers. My wheat's going to be coming from the only certified regenerative organic farm uh, growing wheat uh, in the U.S. right now, and and I'm going to be the first, like, how cool is that? I mean, the first one to be making bagels and pizzas with that people won't know that it's organic. They won't know that it's got whole grains in it. They don't need to, if they want to, they will, they will know because part of your marketing to differentiate yourself will include that presumably, right? To the people that care, but I I guarantee you there's going to be people going, Oh, look, I want pizza. And they look on their phone. They're like, Oh, there's a pizza place down the street. Let's go there. And as long as it tastes good and the price is right and they get good service, they'll come back. Sure. And so, you know, we all know that we we have customers, Brad, that buy stuff from us, not because of what we're, we sell stuff. We have to make money. We sell stuff to people, but we've got our target customer. And then we have others that aren't really in the target. And of course we still take their money. Your target customer for this is someone that wants to know that the wheat was sourced from a regenerative practices, organically certified farming operation, that's going to appeal to most of your customers, I presume? I would think less than most, but I think that there's, there's, you know, there's a vocal minorities of a, of a, of a lot. Like I, I'm serving vegan food there. That's a vocal minority. I'm serving vegetarian. I'm serving gluten-free. These are all distinct te- demographics that are within my community. So if I can win over all the vegans and if I can win over all the gluten-free people, and if I can win over the people I care about the planet and saving the world, and I can also feed people that are like, you know, what? I just want better quality food. I don't want to go to, let's say, I'm not, no, no offense to like Little Caesars for their quality, but it's a very different quality than Little Caesars. This is not, we're not using garlic powder. We're not even using any, you know, using any chemicals in our, um, on our, our dough to make it rise and hold air a certain way. We're not using chemicals that are like relaxants, right? relaxing agents for the dough so that it's easier to stretch. Um, this is a really clean, simple formulations. That's just, you know, flour, salt, water, yeast, and, but the best flour, the best salt, the, the filtered water to get, you know, let's make it super clean and, um, and fermented for three days to develop great, great flavor, more digestible, 
um, and made with a lot of love by artisans like that. That I think might be a winning combination. We'll we'll see. I haven't opened yet, but when we open, we'll okay, see. I'm gonna throw one at you. Mm-hmm. I, I I I I upselling and in my book I even talk about adjectives and I'm not against adjectives. Um, you've thrown a lot out there: organic, regenerative, uh, artisan, uh, gluten free, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we live in a in a society that's very affluent in general, and there is a market for those things. I don't. I don't know if you're doing yourself as many favors by saying I'm going to though make it very inexpensive. Why not just use those adjectives, your background as a chef, and then go ahead and charge a greater premium. Uh, you're leaving money on the table. That's not serving my community. That that's part of like the regenerative farming is what colored the way that I look at how I treat things above ground. Regenerative organic farming is about how you treat your soil, that you allow things to live in harmony together by having, by not putting any sort of inputs into it that are, that are kind of artificial. And I would, I want to do the same thing above ground, the way that I treat my community. If if my community's got people with money, they got people, there's more people without money in my, in my community than with it because I'm in a gentrifying neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, why, why, I don't want to force out the people that were there. They're, they make it beautiful and dynamic and, and diverse, which is awesome. It's way more robust and way more, just like, you know, soil, when it's got a lot of other stuff growing in there, it's a yeah. lot more secure. It'll hold more water. It's going to be more, um, more pest resistant when you've got biodiversity. I want biodiversity above ground. And I, the way to do that is I want to make food affordable. So I, I, there's not a lot of people that uh, are uh, owning pizzerias, which I know yours is really not a pizzeria. They're talking about regenerative agriculture and the biology of the soil. You are. Um, tell me about the motivation besides just inexpensive food sold inexpensively and contributing to the neighborhood. Bagel and slice. The product you think, if I come to Bagel and Slice and eat a product, it's going to taste better than if I go many other places. That's, that's, you're, you're selling multiple things, but you're going to lead with taste, flavor, environment. What's the, what's the lead? Well, I, I look at, at, at life and, and let's just say a microcosm of life, a restaurant or a little, little subsystem of the, of the world. Um, when you walk into a restaurant, you start your 360 degree experience. So what it sounds like, my sound system, my music choices, yep. um, the quality of the sound, the, the, the smell of the environment, um, the way that we treat you, how my employees are, are dressed, how the finishes on the wall, that indicates how important I make you feel. I, I didn't spend more money on my tile because I want to show off how rich I am that I can afford another dollar a square foot. I did it because I want you to have a really nice experience. Yeah. So that experience begins there. So I think that I, I lead with the entire experience. Now then at la- the last, the last part of the dining experience is how you feel. Now there's, there's, different ways of how you feel. One is how you feel emotionally. Like, did I get treated fairly and nicely? So we're going to try to treat people all evenly as even if they're rude to us, we're going to try to be nice back as best as we can. And we won't handle too much of that sort of abuse, but we will do our best to treat people nicely. And then um, we, when they leave the restaurant, we want them, their stomachs 
to feel satiated, but yep. to feel a certain way that you just don't feel when you eat some of those highly processed foods. Yeah. And so if I go to little, if I go to Little Caesars and spend seven dollars, I can yep. leave full, but I'm also going to feel like shit. <laughs> so you're telling me when I come to bagels, <laughs> yes, uh, we can say that on my podcast. Oh, well, uh, good. Yeah. When I come to Bagel and Slice, I feel satiated. Yes. And I also, I feel good. Yeah. And imagine if, the, if you could also feel good knowing that by, by giving dollars to us, that you're giving to a business that is also giving back to giving right back to your community, to your local schools, to your other local charities that are helping out people that are helping out people. We're, we're, we're very cautious about who we partner with from the people that we buy our coffee from, where they're sourcing, how they're sourcing their practices on their farm, not only of how they're treating the soil, but how they're treating their staff. Are there restrooms? Are there educational uh, options for the kids? So they have something to do in these developing countries. These are the kinds, this is the level of research and development that we've spent. And I spent a little, about two and a half years just sourcing ingredients for a bagel and pizza shop. It's a very, it sounds very simple, but it's extraordinarily complicated. Our, our distribution model in our country is absolutely broken. And I am committed to making a better model and what I, and, and sharing that model. We'll be probably using 14 different distributors in order to get the stuff that we need because I can't get the quality of flour, the quality of dairy, the quality of, of soft drinks, like anything um, without, you know, through one distributor. It's just what does the average restaurant use two distributors? One to two. Yeah. So you're use 14 because you're going to be bringing a lot of stuff. Now, one might argue that that's not as good for your uh, carbon footprint because you're having a lot more trucks coming and going. And you would counter that by saying, well, you can if you want to get into the carbon, we'll look at the carbon we're sequestering by like sourcing ingredients that are better by, by, by using packaging that's biodegradable or compostable by by, by composting our, our waste um, and, and spending a little bit more money on that sort of service. So, the, yes, we can say that our carbon footprint is not as bad because of what we're doing, but I don't want to do that. What I want to do is prove that the that, that this model works and force the, the hand of distributors to carry these products. So I can go to one or two distributors. I can't do that because distributors carry what they make money on, on the back end. Well, it's in general, let's face it. They, they go with what's easiest. You know, I used to sell lighting fixtures through wholesale distributors and the wholesale distributors, they didn't give two hoots in hell what the customer bought. They just wanted to move a lot of product to make a certain margin. I mean, honestly, it, and, yeah. and when you realize that I realized that whether it was my boxes or anybody else's boxes, all they cared about was that lots of boxes went through their facility right. and then they made a margin and, and they, less skews, the better for them. If they the less skews, the less skews, they, why carry 17 lighting products? manufacturers when I can carry 13 and, and it's all the same shit. And then I get a big cash check at the end of the year because I'm getting money back from selling so many boxes from this one manufacturer. Yeah. Good for me. And I'm all for everybody making their fair share of money. I'm not even for, I'm not even against the distributors making uh, any less money than they're making. I'm not, I don't want them to make less money than they're making today. No, you just, you're talking about, you want a product mix. You want charge a higher me. quality of product mix. And I want my distributors to charge me more. 
stop taking kickbacks on the back end and charge me more. So I know, so everyone thing is transparent. I know what you're spending on it because at that point, then we can kind of start to even the playing field. Once right. we even that playing field, the people that'll be making the decisions on what gets consumed are consumers instead of distributors. And that's what I'm trying to set. That's what this model is all about is we, I want to make things right for our communities, not right for just for business. How many more branches of bagel and slice will there be? Well, I mean, they're going to be five that you can really, really keep your eye on, or they're going to be 50 because this thing catches on, or there'll be one. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure that you're scratching your head and there's got to be other people with smart business minds that are going, this, this is crazy. The idea in business is to make money and to have some sustainability for the business. Um, that should be priority number one. And mine is, is I'm going to put by the business second and put my mission first. And I'm hoping that my mission is a strong enough one and it's, it's, it's smart enough that I'm able to manage financial uh, needs for the business in a way that I could survive on 10% profit. And heck, if I can get down to 5% profit, I'd be even happier. I just need to make sure that I make enough money to cover my expenses and to make sure that my staff is getting paid a much better livable wage and that my uh, guests are able to afford stuff. So I'm going to make it up in volume. And that's like, that's like, you know, like I remember years ago, my dad saying like, you know, don't be stupid. You're not going to make up for losing money in volume. You got to charge enough to make a living. And that's where I think I'm smart enough to make sure I do charge enough to at least make a living. And then I thought, I thought you were going to say that my dad taught me, um, if you're losing money doing this once and you just say, I'm going to make up with volume, all that does is volumize more losses. You know, it's kind of the yes. old thing. I'm, I'm losing $5 for every widget that I make. You know what I'm going to do? Make more widgets. Like Jesus, no, no, stop it. Stop at $5 yes. instead of a million times $5. Right. And, if I, and, and if I have a product that has a, like a street value of my pizza, because it's so fancy has a street value of let's say 10 bucks and I'm selling it for five, but, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm put leaving $5 on the table, you know, is that a shame on me? Maybe not, because if I can make two, three dollars in, in, in profit off of that, that I can then give back to the community and give back um, it, to my employees and still find, you know, five, 10% profit, as long as the volume's high enough, I think that I can make this go. So when you say, how many will there be? It depends. If this doesn't work out, I can always charge more and, and hopefully, you know, I can yeah, I'll have one. But if this really works the way that I'd like it to, I would like this to be a business model that that there's millions of. Not that I'm creating, but but that I'm that the model is being shared. Everything that I'm doing, I will share. So if someone is looking to do a competing pizza concept down the street from me and they want to do something good, they're going to say, "Hey, I, if they come to me, where do you get your flour?" I'm going to tell them yep. because I, I believe that I'm sourcing so well that I'm doing good for the world. If anybody, I like it. I do, by the way, I like it. Um, if they want to find you, is there, yeah. is there a place to find you? Well, you, I think our Instagram is probably the most interesting, which is bagel and slice on Instagram. And then I, I'm very responsive there. Otherwise, Brad at bagel and slice.com. Brad at bagel and slice.com. Eventually there'll be a bagel and slice website. No doubt. Right. There's one. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's where you should have sent people to begin with bagel and slice.com. Because people are spending more time on Instagram these days. <laughs> All right, Mr. Trendy Southern Cal. Bagelandslice.com. Find him there. Thanks for being here, Brad Kent. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Till next time. Thanks for being here. Check out all my great stuff, either at my YouTube channel or at DamianMason.com. DamianMason.com. And yes, I have an Instagram account also. Till next time, let's do business better. If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it. And be sure to connect with Damian on LinkedIn 
like his Facebook fan page and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you.